DJ, PK, and Ben Anderson joins us now, jazz writer for KSLSports.com. Ben, good morning. Good morning. So, Ben, we have been discussing the topic, the jazz. What about this season has really surprised you? Where have they really overachieved? And uh, I said, you know, the three-point shooting, I knew they'd be good. Obviously, they led the league last year, and I could even see that number ticking up a little bit. Can't say I thought they'd be shooting 40% right now. Niang puts the ball on the floor and is more effective than I expected. But I'm kind of looking at small things. Largely, it seems like, at least in my view, everything's trended towards the most optimistic end of what was possible. So I guess that would be the biggest surprise. Do you see it differently, or do you see it yeah, that way? Yeah, I think you're right. I think the fact, other than Boyan Bogdanovich, basically everything that could go well feels like it has gone well, including the defense getting back into the top 10 and the top 5 and over the last eight games, it's what, number two or number three now? So uh, I think Derek Favors coming in and having the impact that he's had, even though it doesn't seem like he's had a big statistical year, clearly he's a part of the reason that the defense is back. Everyone else kind of clicking in and figuring out how to do what Quinn Snyder wants defensively, uh, wants, wants them to do defensively to get them back to that place where they were two years ago, three years ago. And that's just kind of this weird constant trade-off you always have to deal with as a young team that's trying to learn how to win by playing ugly games the way the Cleveland Cavaliers do now, the way the Memphis Grizzlies do now. And then you say, okay, we've got our offensive star. We're going to start putting in offensive people. And then can you maintain that defense? And most teams can't. And the really good teams do figure out a way to do it. And that's what the Warriors did a few years ago. That's what the Jazz are trying to do right now. And it seems like it's clicking. It seems like they're figuring it out. So I think you're right. The, the fact that everything has seemed like it's come up you know, in the Jazz direction has been has been surprising, and that's that's what good teams do. So, what do you believe about this team? I, I believe in the depth. Uh, I think first and foremost, I think that's probably the most proven thing because you're seeing pretty consistent play night in and night out from everyone other than Bogdanovich, like we talked about. Uh, I think the fact that they can go really nine deep, especially if George Niang is playing as well as he is. I mean, I think that's a pretty legitimate talent and then skill that the Jazz have that. You know, George Niang is your ninth guy. is better than what, probably the other 25, 26, 27 ninth men in the NBA. I think that's probably fair to say. So if, if everybody's top three or four at their role, you know, if your best player is other than, you know, maybe your best player being uh, Donovan Mitchell and, and he's not, you know, the, the top three best player in the NBA, he's probably top 15 in the way he's playing right now. Maybe he's knocking on the door at top 10. Uh other than that, you know, if Rudy Gobert is your, your second-best player, how does he compare to another team's second-best player? He's, he's probably really good. He probably ranks up there quite high. If Mike Conley's your third-best player, now you're really starting to climb it. You know, he's playing at an MVP level right now. You look at all of his advanced metrics, he might be the best third-best player on the team in the NBA. And then if Boyan Bogdanovich is four, you kind of go down that list, and the Jazz keep getting better. If Jordan Clarkson's your sixth man, well, we know he's the sixth man of the year right now. If Joe Ingles is your seventh, well, okay, Joe Ingles better than anyone else else's seventh man right now so I think that's what I really believe in is the depth of this team is, is as good as anybody in the NBA so what does that mean for comparing them to the other elite teams because I watch the Lakers and you don't want them to be good and you don't want them to dominate but man they look good and man yeah, are they I, dominating I, yeah and what LeBron did last night would he have 46 points on 26 shots and you know made 19 of them and was 7-11 from three he's just you know, that's why you have to have that guy. And going back last week to, to Shaq's point that, that nobody liked was that, you know, is Donovan Mitchell better as a second option? Yeah, 
if you can have Shaq, or, I mean, if you can have LeBron, or if you can have Kevin Durant in front of them that have those ability to hit those types of shots, and look, we saw Donovan Mitchell do that last year in the playoffs. He had those types of numbers. He had these ridiculous 50-point games. But, yeah, if you can have a LeBron James, if you can have a James Harden or a Kevin Durant or these guys who truly are some of the you know four or five best players to ever put on a basketball uniform, that probably would benefit the Jazz and benefit Donovan Mitchell, but they don't have that guy. So is Mitchell capable of being all league? And you have 15 guys basically being all league. So if he's third team, can he be second? And if he's second, can he be first or none of the above? Yeah, I think he can. I think he can be all NBA guard. Uh, you know, there's six of those guys that, that end up making it. So I think there's a chance he can be in that conversation, especially if you do start watering down a couple of places where we would assume that James Harden and Kyrie Irving would both make it, especially if they were on different teams. But now they're not on different teams anymore, and probably only one of them makes it. And that opens up a slot for Donovan Mitchell. And some of these other guys that are knocking on the door, and deservedly so, Devin Booker, Damian Lillard, some of that might come down to team success. Or maybe if Devin Booker and Chris Paul are on the same team, they cancel one of their two spots out that they could potentially earn. So I could see Donovan Mitchell, especially if the Jazz finish with the second-best record in the NBA or second-best record in the West, I think the Jazz deserve a spot. I don't know if Rudy Gobert gets it this year. I think you're, you're going to look at some of the other big men around the league, and I think Rudy deserves it. I don't know if his numbers are going to reflect it because some of his minutes are down and so a few of his averages are down. Uh, and, but the Jazz would have to get a spot. You know, you kind of earn that spot, that token spot of if you're good enough to make an all-star team. If you're one of the best teams in the NBA, someone's got to make it or two of your guys have to make it. The Jazz benefited from that last year. That could turn into an all-NBA appearance for Donovan this season. So what are you looking to change and improve and tighten up, or they've hit their ceiling in your mind? Uh, I mean, Boyan will get better. I think that's pretty fair to expect. I think he generally clicks in a little bit later in the season. I know last year he started pretty hot other than the preseason, but then once the regular season started, he was ready and seemed like he was really going. But I think the risk is still – he's still trying to figure it out. I think he's still trying to get confidence back. I think he's overthinking his shot a little bit, and he kind of does a lot of the side steps that he probably doesn't need to do right now, but it's like he's not quite – comfortable just catching and shooting where it felt like last year his quick release was as good as anybody in the NBA and maybe as good as anyone the Jazz had had. So I think that will get better. And that's scary because, you know, the Jazz have, what, six players shooting over 40% and he's not one of them. And last year he was arguably the most prolific three-point shooter in the NBA as far as attempts and shooting over 40%. So as that continues to get better, the Jazz ability to hunt these threes and hit these threes is going to get better. And that's that's going to be scary for, for opposing teams because – you know, they, they already get a ton of threes up, and they already make, you know, a, not a majority of them, but, but more than anyone else in the NBA. So if they can keep doing that, they're going to they're gonna get more dangerous. And if Boyan can add to that and improve it, you know, the sky really kind of is the limit for this team. How far away do you think they are from the Lakers? I, I think they're a puncher's chance away from winning any game, and that's probably the right idea of what they could do. You know, they, they just want to be able to deliver a knockout blow, and a knockout blow is – you hit nine threes in the third quarter. And they can do that, you know, or nine threes in the first quarter and you're up 39 to 27. And you say, well, that's a 12-point lead. We've given ourselves a chance to not lose a 12-point lead over the last 36 minutes. Or it's a four-point game in halftime and you hit those nine threes in the third quarter. And, and that's what we saw against the Hawks a couple of weeks ago or a week and a half ago. That's what we've seen against New Orleans a couple of times. That's what we saw against Golden State where you turn a four-point game into a 22-point game, regardless of what the other team does. Because even if you're trading baskets, if you're hitting threes, and the Lakers can't hit threes at the same rate the Jazz can, they're really good, but they can't hit them at that rate, uh, you know, maybe you 
build up a, a nine or a ten point lead because you did hit seven more threes or you got the free throw line and, and you build a double digit lead going into the fourth quarter. And you know that that's the boxer who just wants to throw haymakers and, and knows they're not as skilled as the other team. And and the Jazz are still pretty skilled, but but that's going to be their best their best option to beat those teams. So they, they've got a puncher's chance, and I think that's good because they didn't have that two years ago or three years ago. And I think they realize that. So if the Ben Anderson joining us, KSLSports.com, if things play out uh, kind of like they did last year and the way they look right now, if the Lakers are one and the Clippers are two and if the Jazz are able to get the three seed, uh, and even if they catch the Clippers, it's still two versus three in the second round. I know we're all obsessed with the Lakers and they're the champs, so why wouldn't we be? But a Jazz Clippers second round series, what does that look like? I think Jazz can beat the Clippers the same way Denver was able to beat the Clippers last year. They they still lack some of the things that I think they need to slow the Jazz down. Specifically, they just don't have a good rim protector. And I know they went out and got Serge Ibaka to kind of come in and, and fill that role and try and be one of those guys. And he's fine. You know, he he has a really good season last year in, in Toronto, but that hasn't quite translated. And I know they're still really good. And I know they're also one of the best defensive teams in the NBA. And I know they're one of the best three point shooting teams in the NBA. So they do a lot well. The Jazz would struggle to find an answer for Kawhi Leonard, but everybody in the NBA does. But I don't see them stopping the Jazz from running their stuff. And that's really hard. If you're going to let the Jazz run their system, they're going to get 43s a game. And if they take 43s a game, right now their average says they're going to hit 18. And I just don't think a lot of teams in the NBA can beat the Jazz if they hit 18 threes on a night. So uh, if you're going to allow them to do that, and you know we saw the Jazz beat the Clippers when, when they weren't playing their best basketball this season. Uh, the Jazz weren't, I should say. I think the Jazz absolutely can beat them. So, and, and the Jazz were good against them last year too. You know, the, the Jazz played really well against uh, LA. They even went on the road and won. I think it was Jordan Clarkson's second game. Donovan Mitchell had a big game. Rudy tends to play pretty well against them. So, I, I don't think that's actually a terrifying matchup. I don't think that's the one the Jazz would be most afraid of. Certainly, uh, it doesn't compare to the Lakers. Did Shaq do the Jazz a favor? I. I I think he got him some sympathy. Uh, I don't know if that's doing them any favors, but you know, I'm sure it affected Donovan Mitchell. I'm sure that's not fun. I just I can't imagine working so hard to get to the NBA and how difficult that must be, and then working so hard to become a good NBA player and an NBA player that matters, that's worth having a TNT post game show, and then you get that opportunity and you play well on national TV and you have 36 points and what was it, you know, 20 in the first half or 21 in the first half. And then you put on a headset and someone tells you you're not good enough. I, I just, I, I'm sure that's hard. I'm sure that's crappy. And, and Shaq is, you know, one of the 10 greatest players of all time. So I, I'm sure that's a really bad feeling. And, and I don't think Donovan Mitchell is necessarily the Darren Williams type. You guys remember Darren would get slighted for the All-Star game or would go on a tear over the last 30 games of the season and be great. I, I don't think that's how Donovan Mitchell's wired. I, I don't think that's how he operates. I think that's more how Rudy operates. Uh, Donovan said he's a chip-on-his-shoulder guy. He doesn't wear it outwardly uh, the way some of these other players do. So I think he probably got him some sympathy. I think he probably showed, you know, shown some, some light on, on how good they're playing this year, even if his goal was to do the opposite. So is Shaq essentially right, though, because in the history of the game, six-foot guards just don't lead teams to championships? And so no matter what you say when you're with a superstar, you can just keep moving the goal line, moving the goal posts, and like, well, and, and if they bring in another player, then you can say, oh, well, that player's really the guy. I mean, it's, there's a chance here to move the goal line, so unless Donovan wins a title while averaging 40 points a game, there'll be some way to shape the argument to say, yeah. 
it, it, that, that's I was right. Yeah, I mean, I think in a vacuum, what he said was right. I, I think there's a time and a place for having that argument and, and you know, a, a way to do it. Uh, and that was not what Shaq did. I mean, Shaq tried to do it bluntly and seemed like he, you know, pretended he was trying to, you know, make a point to Donovan to challenge him. And, and it was just a very poorly, you know, executed uh, plan if that's what he was trying to do. But, yeah, you look back at guys who are under 6'5", who have won championships as the best player on their team, and it's, you know, two names. Maybe it's three names. It's Isaiah Thomas, and it's, Step, was Chauncey step. Phillips the best team on that 04 Pistons team? I don't know. He kind of gets the credit for it, but you know, Rasheed might have been on any given night, or, or or you know, Ben Wallace was on any given night. Rip Hamilton was on any given night. So those two guys have done it. Obviously, Steph did it, and even then, Steph wasn't winning Finals MVPs because it seemed like somebody else needed to step up or have these big, you know, these big postseason runs or seven game series. Whether it was Andre Iguodala or Kevin Durant coming in and obviously pushing them over the edge where they were so good. So I do think it's really hard to be a guard in a big man's league and, you know, or, or at least a tall league and have success. But the Jazz are kind of built a little bit more like those Pistons teams, the, the Isaiah Thomas or the Chauncey Phillips teams. But, again, they, their seventh man was better than your seventh man. You know, Mehmet Okur was really good coming off the bench or Corliss Williamson was really good coming off the bench. They, they just have depth. Those Warriors teams had a lot of depth, too. So I think that's what the Jazz are trying to do. And maybe in that case, if everybody's elevated, you can have a player like Donovan Mitchell be the best player on a championship team. And I think that's fair. Ben Anderson joining us, Utah Jazz writer for KSLSports.com. I guess lost in all of this is the fact that the draft day comparison for Donovan was Dwayne Wade. And Wade was the second best player on three championships teams, one with Shaq and two with LeBron. So I guess in some way this whole discussion, Donovan's just zoomed right past that comparison, which for any rookie on a draft day is outrageous, right? You're a rookie, you've done nothing, and this guy's a three-time champion and a Hall of Famer. Yeah, and, you know, maybe Shaq was the second-best player on some of his teams. And, you know, I always thought he was kind of the engine or the diesel that made those run because he drew so much attention and, and did free things up for Dwayne Wade and did free things up for Kobe. Uh, on their last championship team. I know he was certainly the better of the first of their two. So, um, you, you know, being the second best player on a championship team is, is quite an honor. <laughs> so, so a lot of guys who, who, who only, you know, Will Chamberlain was the second or third best player on a championship team at one point. So it's not the worst thing. And yeah, I mean, Dennis Lindsay, I just have to imagine every day, look at what Donovan Mitchell does and just cackles and just laughs that they, this player turned up out of nowhere they turned nothing into him, you know. I mean, they turned Trey Lyles, who was just a journeyman, and Tyler Lydon, who I don't think is in the NBA anymore, into this guy who, you're right, kind of deservedly is earning these comps to these unbelievably great players and is on a trajectory right now, having made an all-star game in his third season and is averaging 24 points a game and looks like that's always going to be what he's able to do and it's getting better everywhere else. He's turning into one of the elite shooters in the NBA, which was really kind of his question coming out of college. He just... Yes, I mean, he's just a magnificent basketball player, and, and the Jazz got very lucky to have him. And, and worrying about whether you're the second-best player on the championship team or not is, is, you know, kind of missing the point. Well, Ben, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on the show again, and we will uh, look forward to uh, seeing you in the arena one day, you know, when there's 18,300 people there and uh, media people everywhere. Thanks, guys. All right, thanks, Ben. Ben Anderson, jazz writer for KSLSports.com. DJ PK, everything you missed in this show in one segment. Next. Number one. Because you're number one preset.
The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, The Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make The Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. That that loss against the Knicks, I see it as a win because that's when we really, you know, understood what we needed to do as a team to to be great. You know, before that, you know, we were really up and down. You know, we played well one game and then uh, circled the next game. And we were really depending on, you know, if we're going to make threes or not. And now we, we really understood that when we defend and we, we try to be the best defensive team in the league every single night, for some reason, the shots fall, you know, way easier than if we just think about the shots. And, you know, we really uh, put be putting the emphasis on the defense after that loss in New York. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like we've really been uh, getting better and better. Every single game. Rudy Gobert, the Knicks loss was the turning point. And that's fitting since here come the Knicks again. It's the Jazz and the Knicks tonight. Jazz will be going for a ninth straight win. Both teams were off last night. Nobody's going back-to-back. Knicks are on the fourth game of a Western road trip. They won the first one, lost the last two, beating in Sacramento and Portland. PK, what are you watching for tonight? Jazz do their thing and they win the ball game. I don't think that uh, that's most appropriate that the Jazz lost to the Knicks, the fact that they're playing them tonight. It's the fact they haven't lost since. And something happened between that uh, Wednesday and Friday when they played the Bucks to start the winning streak. And whatever it was, keep it going. To me, as I look up, as long as this team is healthy and has its guys every single game here on out. Now, there's probably not going to be that situation where all the top nine guys are available every single game, and it hasn't been in the streak. Joe Ingles has missed, I think, three games off the top of my head. I think that's as many as he's missed. So going forward, as long as they've got their guys, it's all about the Jazz. What can the Jazz do? If they can do what they're capable of doing, it's probably not going to happen every game, but a high percentage of games, they're going to win. Jazz play at 7 o'clock tonight. There's only three games in the NBA tonight. The Clippers play the Hawks on NBA TV at 5.30. The Clippers are going to be missing uh, three rotation guys, including their two stars. Patrick Beverly is out, but more importantly, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are out. Uh, with, uh, the, with the two stars, it's contact tracing for COVID, so we don't really know how long they're going to be gone, but the team flew out on this six-game Eastern road trip, and those guys didn't fly with the team. At what point will they rejoin the team on this road trip? Remains to be seen. But uh, you were pointing this out yesterday. The combined record of the Jazz and the Clippers and the Lakers is outstanding. Now, the Lakers have won eight out of nine. The Clippers have won seven in a row, and the Jazz have won eight in a row. So 23-1 and one now in the last 24 games. But Clippers are going to be missing a big chunk of their team against Atlanta tonight. Yeah, That's why I think in terms of standings uh, – if if you're concerned about finishing as high as you possibly can, take advantage of this if you're the Jazz because you just got done with your large road trip that was uh, reduced by one game with the Washington game being postponed. And now the Clippers are heading out for six games, and they're doing it without their top two players and a critical component uh, as far as a rotation player in Beverly. So see what you can do because – 
I don't know this, but there's probably going to come a time where you're in the boat that the Clippers are in. And then when you get to the postseason, what does it really matter anyway, as long as you've got your guys? You know, if you don't, well, then it's going to matter substantially. But if you, as we saw last uh, August without Bogdanovich, but if you got your guys, uh, okay, but take advantage of it and pile up some easy wins. Because maybe you you might need that, and you suffer a couple of tough losses without your uh, some guys down the road, and maybe you still have an opportunity then to get a at the worst, at the very worst, the the three seed. Jazz uh, play the Knicks tonight at seven. The Clippers have the game in Atlanta. The Lakers are off. They have the best record in the NBA. Game in front of the Jazz. Half game up on the Clippers. After winning in Cleveland, LeBron went home and he had no intention of losing PK. 46 points, shot 73% from the floor, 63% from the arc, and uh, filled up the stat sheet. It wasn't just scoring. It was a dominant performance out of LeBron. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Other things we have discussed this morning in relation to the big three, we had Brian Mahoney on who covers the Knicks, Nets, and uh, NBA, and Ben Anderson all trying to, uh, and and Shaq doubled down on his comments, all trying to pull apart where the Jazz fit in the top of the NBA and what kind of chance do they have to get to the very top. That's really, those are the two underlying questions that will, uh, we'll have lots of questions between now and the start of the playoffs, but those two questions will always lurk and be associated with whatever the question of the moment is. Oh, I think for the rest of the year, if not, uh, you know, who am I many years? That's the thing about the NBA is you could be the third or fourth best team and not legitimately be in the mix to win the title. Well, that sucks. <laughs> but there it is. <laughs> if But at the same time, you know, if you go to the other sports, and maybe you can put college football in there too, but the other sports – you know, if you're the third or fourth best team. Well, were the Bills at, the fourth best team in the NBA, well, and how I, close I, were they? NFL, but yeah, I was going to go yeah. with uh, Tampa Bay. Uh, I don't know that in the middle of the season we considered them that, and, and yet here they are. KC is the exception. We did consider them that. Most folks uh, probably got 50% of the Super Bowl right because Kansas City was just the easy, obvious pick. But at the same token on that uh, – a, a tweaked ankle can make a lot of difference. So be in that mix, and maybe you get a break because the team that you're playing and the team that you're trying to overcome, they get a bad break. That's happened. That's happened plenty of times when you think about it. Oh, yeah. I mean, and certainly to bring it back to the NBA, there well, have been, there the have been lately. Oh, yeah. There have been more NBA finals impacted by injuries in the last six or seven years than yeah. we've had where both teams have been healthy. And if you're the one winning that title, Toronto isn't giving that back anytime soon. No, they aren't. <laughs> and they were going nuts. We saw it as we watched them in that on that uh, plaza there, and they jammed in human beings, one pressed against another. It looked like what I saw this summer at some of the protests. Other stuff we've talked about in this show, uh, the Chiefs are going to be shorthanded, very shorthanded. Both of their 
offensive tackles are going to miss the Super Bowl. Left tackle Eric Fisher, torn Achilles. They suffered in the AFC title game. The right tackle, Mitchell Schwartz, has been dealing with ongoing back injury. That's had him out since week six. So they've had a little bit of time to adjust and adapt to that. But And when you're already one down one tackle and then you lose another, how much depth are you supposed to have? Yeah, I can't help but thinking every time I hear Schwartz, I think of Ralphie blaming when he said the F word on Schwartz and then Ralphie's mother calling Schwartz's mother and then Schwartz got a little corporal punishment there and he didn't even really know what was up. Famous Schwartz's, famous Schwartz's, let's go, people. (laughs) That's all I got for you. Uh, But was Schwartz, was Ralphie justified? You know, Ralphie didn't really take any heat for ratting out Schwartz, one of his buddies, unjustly. Now, he'd probably heard Schwartz say the F word. Uh, uh, You know, there's only two kids in the history of grade school who never said the F word, and both of them are your kids. Uh, But everybody else has. And so, should he have ratted him out? I say no. And he should have taken some pushback and backlash on it, but yet it didn't happen. And Ralphie's viewed as somewhat of a, a mor- we look up to. You know what I mean? It's always, I thought it was always very interesting how Ralphie skated on that. <laughs> I can tell you, if Ralphie from, was from Jersey, there would have been some rep- retribution. Oh, really? What would have happened? I'm not sure you want me to go there, but <laughs> but you you don't you, you know what do they say about snitches? They get stitches. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, a couple of people may have uh, visited Ralphie, but you know he rats out Schwartz. I wonder if there's any relation in these Schwartzes. Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to dig into that. Get to the bottom of that. <laughs> Pac-12 football fans, the news of the day, Oregon and Cal are trading defensive coordinators. This is a weird deal. Triggered by Boise State hiring Andy uh, Avalos away. He did go from Oregon to return to Boise to be their head coach. That is a fact. And those are, those are all sorts of domino effects that happen a lot. But this is just interesting that they just basically switch spots. So... Keith Hayward is leaving Oregon and going to Cal, and Tim DeRuiter is going to Oregon. So, there you go. Well, that DeRuiter was the former Fresno head, head coach. coach. Yes, yes. Uh, for a while there, and I think, that did he succeed or did Tedford succeed him? Tedford took remember. over for him. Yeah, that's what I thought. And then the Sun Devils hiring off the staff of SC, Claiborne, who was a star linebacker for those guys in the 90s and played a number of years in the NFL and was very good. And you wonder if this pro model that they just go on and on about, because they hired uh, Dave Christensen, who was the offensive coordinator here at Utah for a season, and a staff wrecker, was the offensive line coach for uh, the Devils. And he retired, and he's done at 59. And so they replaced him with a guy who coached for the Colts. So everybody that they've brought on, not everybody, but it's it's interesting the veteran guys have all been NFL guys, but then he's hired, Herm speaking of, multiple guys in their 20s. He just hired a 25-year-old tight end coach with the idea of 
thinking that it will help recruiting. You got someone younger generationally? Because yeah, you got a got bunch of older guys. guys on the staff, so make sure yeah. you have some younger guys on the staff as well. They got a kid named Jones. He's had a bunch of legal issues, got kicked out of SC, was a four or five star recruit, uh, a DB, right? And he's going to come back and, and take advantage of this extra year and thought that he could have gone to the NFL. Was well, position coach is a guy named Hawkins, and Hawkins back when was Jones's teammate at SC. How about that? So relationships matter? Well, bottom the, the, line. The, the idea is that you got young guys, you got all this NFL stuff at the top, right? Mm-hmm. All, I mean, but that also brings a lot of guys who are going to be in their 50s and 60s. So get a 25-year-old tight ends coach, so generationally you got a mix on your staff. And he's got three guys, including Claiborne, that were high school head coaches at dominant high school programs. That sounds good, but I wonder how long that lasts. I guess if you're succeeded by someone on your staff, you've still got the relationships. But the, the players that you knew in high school pretty quickly, you know, that, that turns over. How well did you know that ninth grade? How well did you know that eighth grader? And maybe you do know some of the star players. Now, if your staff stay, largely stays in place, you go and you know one of your coordinators gets promoted and you know all those guys, maybe that gives you an in. Yeah, well, yeah, you know what who you what you know is the coaches in the area, in the region. Right. So you got the early evaluation. They don't change over usually. You got an early evaluation, and you get in on the really good kids earlier. Well, it'll be yeah, and it'll be interesting to see because the one thing I give Herm credit, and he talks about it, which I don't think he really had an idea because he wasn't there. Whereas Kyle knows it in and out, is that it is about the players, not the plays, and it is about recruiting, which Kyle has just drummed into our heads a thousand times over. And we want to build him up, and he's making a ton of money and all that, and he keeps throwing it back on the guys out on the field. you got to have everything in order and put them in the position to win, but if I put NFL guys in the position of win and you put decent guys in the position to win, who's going to win? My NFL guys, as long as the coaching is doing what it's supposed to do, my future NFL guys. And so Herm has really – he's just become – He's older than Kyle, obviously, but he's become somewhat of a, a clone of what Kyle does as I listen to his talk and what he says. And he's a little more uh, uh, charismatic. Not that Kyle isn't. He can handle himself in any situation, you know, but Herm has the national name. And Kyle is a meat and potatoes guy. Kyle has the name among the people who he needs to have the name among, but maybe the casual fan in, in Minnesota or South Carolina doesn't know him, whereas they've heard of Herm because he's blurting all that stuff out on the NFL for 10, 15 years, whatever it was. But I'm wondering, you know, what type of success is this program going to have? Because you're going into your eh, sort of your fourth year, but I don't know that you really count this last year. You can say he counts in recruiting. So are you going to be able to cash in? Because you're doing things that look like you're going to have the blueprint for success. Because Kyle has done that, and they've had success. They haven't won at all, but they still have had success. And in recent times, 
clearly they've had more success than the Devils. Beat USC, win the division. And if the U.S. are good, then beat USC and Utah and win the division. Uh, The Devils, you're talking about, but yeah. For the Devils, yeah. I mean, we're going to judge Herm on whether he's winning or not. It is a weird deal. You know, a fourth recruiting class should matter. It is only a third full season playing, um, but the fourth recruiting season should matter. It should, yeah. So you should have more results than you've had. And the extra year of eligibility, if it's going to have an impact, I mean, for some teams it just won't, but I think if it's going to have an impact, it should help teams in the middle catch teams at the top. Because I think the teams at the top are relying more on NFL guys, and they are likely to leave after three years before their third bowl game. Well, except (laughs) the Utes didn't. Right. But see, that's the thing, that getting that extra year helps you close the gap. Well, but I'm talking about two years ago when all those right. kids could have gone to the NFL. Right. They didn't get anything. They, I guess they got another year out of them, but the players weren't That's getting what I meant. anything. No, the they players didn't. They were just taking right. advantage of what was there for them. The, and so, and I, and obviously, all those kids returning helped immensely. And the Devils, most of their kids, and if not all of them, that could have gone, I believe there's still time to go, but uh, they've stayed. And I well, have you had to have you had is it official? Have you had to put your name in? Yeah, they put out the early entry list over the weekend, which I think that is ridiculous. I don't understand why colleges have all these rules that benefit the professionals. The rules should benefit the college kids, and make it be like high school baseball. You don't have to declare for the draft. Some team can draft you, and then you decide whether you want to go or not. And, you know, if you put your name out there, then you can't come back. That would be a fascinating thing to have that happen. But think about why do we have these – why does colleges have these rules that benefit the NFL? You've got a great point. I just – I think it would be fascinating to say Zach Wilson, say he comes off this junior year. Yeah. Some team takes him, and then he has to make a decision whether he's coming back or go. Because I I think it's because the NCAA has a mindset. There are rules, and the athletes have to be held down and kept in line. Now, over here – you know, guys are getting paid under the table left and right and all that kind of stuff. But over here, yeah, there's this arbitrary rule that seems designed to punish athletes. I mean, it hasn't wrecked college baseball or minor league baseball that high school kids have a decision to make as opposed to they decide, and now you can't go to college. Why I think it's impacted like college baseball programs negatively, but so what? I, I, I think it absolutely it has. You sign a recruiting class, you sign the class in November, and you really well, don't know timing. if you have see, them until yeah, December. Yeah. I mean, until uh, yeah. August. There, there's a whole thing among college coaches that there are guys who sign guys that they are never, ever going to get into uniform, and they know it, but it makes it seem like their class is so much better. And you really got to come play with these guys, and they try to use it to entice guys, and it becomes a whole thing unto itself. Yeah, but having but they, said that, the individual player, why not give the individual player the choice? Let him know, okay, I'm going here, and this is when I'm drafted, and so this you know, tells me how good a chance I have of actually making a team. You know, Seventh-round picks do get cut. Well, I love the baseball model for the Americans. I think it's ridiculous that only the Americans are subject to the draft, and that's why you got these Cuban guys who they rarely, if ever, establish themselves if they can find a way to get out in the U.S. They go to place, they go to the international market where they essentially are free agents and can right. sign for whatever. That's ridiculous. But as far as the Americans, I would love to see with the NBA that 
and really for pro football for that matter, NFL football, even though it's, it's, it's not, you commit to three years. If you come, you're here for three years. All right, DJ and PK, your feedback's coming up next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. PK, the streak is over. Well, Joe had a good run. First it was Joe, then it was you on Talking Sports. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Now it's Kay. All of our streaks are being broken in the last couple of weeks. Kay whiffed. Records are made to be broken. They streaks say. are made to be broken. Mm, it's always sad when it happens, though. <laughs> Huge Shasta trailer tweets at us, best I can do. I guess I don't know a lot of Schwartzes. And he sends a gif of, may the Schwartz be with you. I'll go ahead and retweet that. You know, there's a guy in the NFL that was the Eagles defensive coordinator. Lions, Lions head coach, Lions. Jim Schwartz, yeah. Yeah, and he wanted, sure. to, he wanted to drop, uh, uh, what's his face, uh, uh, Harbaugh when he was uh, coaching. And they have, <laughs> and they have a little right. incident. That's but right. Was it you your know, PR guy was trying to run and get a hold of him? Yeah, they were trying. They were yeah. chasing him. and <laughs> As they were going uh, across midfield, it was a little <laughs> – well, it was a little Lions PR guy, a little uh, San Francisco 49ers PR guy. Was trying to get in the middle of it because he knew it was coming. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. Good one. Sherwood Schwartz, creator Sherwood. of the Brady Bunch and Gilligan's Island, made yeah. a lot of money off those oh, shows. My two favorites, my all-time numbers one and two favorite shows. <laughs> we all know that's a lie. You have good taste. One other one, uh, Mitchell Schwartz, his older brother Jeff Schwartz, spent time in the NFL for about 10 years. He's now a media personality for Fox Sports. Famous Schwartzes, let's go. Uh, Shaq doubled down on the Donovan Mitchell uh conversation with an Instagram post of he and Penny Hardaway with a comment, this is what greatness of the guard position looks like. What's his deal? And Tyson says he's still salty about Ostertag taking him to school. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd like that. <laughs> Those legendary seven-footers going at it. <laughs> <laughs> Tony says, Hardaway? Really? Good Lord. If he's going to make a point, at least use Kobe. Donovan's a thousand times better than Hardaway. Hardaway pre-injury was pretty good. He was. He was first-team All-NBA yeah, twice. And he was yeah. really good. Yeah. But that was a very short period of time. Yeah, right. Injuries clearly derailed his NBA career. There's no question about that. Yeah. Colton says, wow, I personally think Shaq wants the negative attention. Thomas says Shaq's attempting to stay relevant. Oh my gosh, he's in every other commercial. He's plenty relevant. Yeah, Shaq (laughs) is relevant just because of who he is. He's an enormous personality, one of the biggest that pro sports has ever had in any sport by just the nature of his size and his gregariousness uh, on that. And I don't think he minds the negative. In fact, I think he feeds off it. As you know, he was born in Newark, New Jersey. There it is. I think he was. I have to double-check that, but I know he has a Newark background. All right, let us know if he's another, if he's a fellow Jersey guy. March 6th, 1972, Newark, New Jersey. There it is. Yeah, yeah. He moved around. I think his father or his stepfather was in the military. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's a, he's a Texas guy also. Has some San Antonio roots, yeah. All right, uh, other people uh, tweeting at us during the show. Um, <laughs> he's forgetting, forgetting a lot of Mel Brooks references. 
Didn't see that coming this morning. Uh, Lex says, lest we forget, Malone was MVP at 35. First team NBA at 36. Stockton was third team at 37. Yeah, but because they started their NBA careers later, they hadn't played as many minutes at the same age. Which I think is more pertinent than the actual chronological age. Yes. The pounding you take in all those NBA minutes. LeBron is now eighth all time, and the guys at the top were not still carrying their club to the NBA title at that age. Yeah, the statues were awesome. You can't deny that, yep. but I'd be real hesitant to compare their accomplishments to LeBron's, as and, I would just about anybody's. Right. And, and LeBron has already played 2,000 minutes more than Stockton. I mean, guys factor have, in the playoff minutes. Right. And he passed, uh, he's passed Stockton. He's passed Wilt. He's passed Kobe. He's passed a lot of excellent players. He's, he's eight right now, and by the end of the year, we'll have to see how it plays out. He might be three. I mean, and, and none of these guys were still carrying the club. You know, Kareem was very – Kareem's number one, and he's very much a role player at the end. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. That was – well, I think he was – You never think he was guy. the best guy. Magic was the guy. But, yeah. it, but he was, you know, 10 points a game. He was right? awesome. Yeah. Well, he had some financial issues that I think that were the reason that prolonged his desire to keep playing, if I remember correctly. Bowler Jack was just talking about the the other day. I think he was subbing for hands on Scotty's show and I was listening, and those are facts. Just that I'm okay building up your guys, but I don't think you can do it at the expense of LeBron anymore. LeBron is unto himself. And with a fourth title and maybe a fifth here soon, it'll be interesting to see if he gets the fifth. That's, uh, that's magic Kobe uh, Duncan territory. That's pretty rarefied air. I mean, four, He's already there. Four is two. I know, but he's, he's not done. Well, maybe he is. We'll see. I don't think he is. I agree with you, but he's, he, in my mind, he doesn't, he doesn't have to need another one. Right. No, he doesn't need another one. But no. if he gets another one, it will be very impressive. I agree on both accounts, yes. All right, we're out of time. Hands at Scotty coming up next. Scotty from Vegas after the Aggies lost to UNLV. Ah, more on that coming up. DJ and PK, 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.